Uh, before we go into the message tonight, though, we do have one more special that we will hear. And so you listen to this special, then we'll get into the message tonight. Are you ready for today's lesson? Yes, Peter. Listen to your teacher. Repeat after me. I won't grow up. I won't grow up. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. Just to learn to be a parent. Just to learn to be a parent. And recite a silly rule. And recite a silly rule. If growing up means it would be beneath my dignity to climb a tree, I'll never grow up, never grow up, never grow up. Not me. Not I. Not me. Not me. I won't grow up. What a great way to start a Wednesday night sermon. How many of you have heard that or are familiar with what was singing or what was going on? That was the Broadway production of the famous Peter Pan, maybe a little less familiar to us Disney fans. How many of you have seen Peter Pan, the Disney movie? Good. I won't grow up. And the concept is this boy who lives in Neverland, and he has the desire to remain a child his entire life. And so I thought that this was an interesting way to start the series because of something that I read this week. I didn't make this up. This is actually something that I read from philosophy.com. You can look it up for yourself if you'd like to do that. Studies have shown that, and you're not gonna believe this, uh, Brother Matt, help me out with this because you teach the college and career class. Studies have shown that millennials and Generation Z are finding it increasingly difficult to transition from adolescence to adulthood. That pretty accurate? Dr. Marty Stephen, or excuse me, Marty Nemco in 2009, a psychologist and life coach in Oakland, California, labeled this dilemma as Peter Pan syndrome. Although the American Psychiatric Association does not recognize Peter Pan syndrome as a legitimate mental disorder, Nemco believes that it's only a matter of time before this concept is widely recognized as a serious mental deficiency amongst those in their 20s and early 30s. And here are some of the manifestations of Peter Pan syndrome. Let's see if they sound familiar. An unwillingness to get working or stay working when you're not motivated. Dabbling, being unwilling to stay focused on becoming sufficiently expert at anything. Network uh, aversion or can't develop meaningful relationships. Betting on long shot dreams rather than realistic expectations. Blaming your failures on something your parent, spouse, or former employee did to you. Those are all different manifestations of this syndrome, and it's a real thing that uh, Dr. Nimco has labeled, but it's a real thing that's very popular amongst millennials and Generation Z, this Peter Pan syndrome. And, and in short, Nimco summarizes this mental disorder as being unable and unwilling to take responsibility for their own life. Did you hear me? Unwilling and unable to take responsibility for their own life. And that is where a lot of our young people are today. They're unwilling to grow up. They're unwilling to transition into that, uh, into adulthood. Again, from adolescence to adulthood is a very difficult transition. And I thought that was interesting in reading what, uh, what I just read and the fact that we are going into high school graduation this next week. Uh, and not just our school, but other schools are going to be graduating. And I did find that in this report, they did mention that most uh, college students that are going to, and this is main, mainstream uh, universities and state universities, they find it that that actually makes it easier for them to remain in their adolescent state rather than transitioning into adulthood. 
In other words, it's almost like a pacifier. You'd think you used to go to college and you better have figured out by that time how to work a job and how to grow up, but now it's kind of the opposite. They're catering to the younger generation and making it even more difficult on them because of parties and and different groups and, and all these sorts of different things that they offer in the universities where it makes it even more difficult to grow up. And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter number five. Hebrews chapter number five, the writer of Hebrews addresses a spiritual version of the Peter Pan syndrome, a refusal to grow up spiritually. The writer is attempting to present, and I know you're turning, but uh, the writer is attempting to present one of the richest and most important doctrines, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. As a matter of fact, that is the overwhelming theme of the book of Hebrews, is presenting Jesus as our great high priest. And really to understand that doctrine, we would need to do some serious study in the book of Leviticus in the office of the great high priest. And we're not gonna do that this evening because I wanna kinda take for granted the fact that most of us understand that in the Old Testament there were three offices that Jesus fulfills in the New Testament, that of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus Christ was a prophet. Matter of fact, he made the Sadducees and the, and, and the uh, Pharisees constantly upset because of the fact that he would prophesy. He prophesied his own death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus Christ is king. I don't need to labor long on that, do I? He's the son of God. He's the king, and and he fulfills that office. But we really don't talk about Jesus' priesthood, uh, him being our great high priest. Uh, Christ performs the office of a priest by once offering himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us to God and by making, here's a big word, continual intercession for us before God. That's very important. Did you notice that it said he died once? Jesus Christ, died, uh, Jesus Christ died once, and how many of you believe once saved, always saved? Say amen. Amen. We don't have to worry and dabble around whether or not we're saved. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, once saved, always saved. But did you know that redemption is a continual process and that currently right now Jesus is in heaven making intercessions for you? That's Jesus Christ, and that's how he fulfills the, uh, that's how he f- fulfills the priesthood. He's the great high priest. I don't know about you, but I'm just talking about me. He's constantly making intercession for Lamar R because of all the things that I've done, because of the sin that I am continually doing. And so Jesus Christ, he performs that office of the great high priest, and it's a rich doctrine, and it's a good doctrine, and it's a doctrine that the writer of Hebrews, by the way, I believe to be Paul, but I won't reference him as Paul tonight just for the sake of safety, but the writer of Hebrews understands the importance of expounding upon this deep truth of Jesus Christ fulfilling the role of the great high priest. But he realizes something very quickly. And that is that the people that he's speaking to are not nearly as mature in their faith as he thought that they were. He he thought that they had a, uh, a certain capacity spiritually, but as he begins to expound upon Jesus Christ being our great high priest, he realizes, here it is, that these Christians have not grown up. These Christians are still very immature in their faith. And I want you to know, and we're going to get into this in just a moment, but it is not because they're new Christians, by the way. It is not because they're new Christians, because it would kind of be expected for someone to be uh, new to this thing of Christianity and for them to have to go through a period of time to develop their faith. But these people were, were, were that of people that have accepted Jesus Christ and had been saved for a long time but had not expounded upon the scriptures, had not advanced in their faith, and they were immature because they chose to be immature. Rather, they chose not to grow. Peter Pan Christians. 
Instead of diving into the deep, rich, life-changing truths, the writer of Hebrews takes a step back and he has to address the spiritual immaturity of those who are listening, these Jewish Christians. So let's look at Hebrews chapter number five and we'll begin our reading down in verse number 11 and we'll read down through uh, Hebrews chapter six in verse number one. Verse number 11, it says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth, or excuse me, everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of uh, use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Verse number one of chapter six. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. And he continues in the rest of the chapter discussing these deep doctrinal truths, baptism and all sorts of different things in that way. And so for just a few moments tonight, I'd like to talk to you about something very practical It'll be very practical. I I don't think that I'm gonna have a big breakthrough tonight with anybody in this room, regardless of your walk with the Lord. But it is something so incredibly simple and something so incredibly basic that I think that we sometimes miss it. I I think a lot of times we miss it. And we're gonna be brief tonight. I don't wanna take a lot of time to develop these thoughts. I'm gonna get to the end. And at the end, I'm gonna give some practical application that we can use. It's gonna be a very different service tonight. And so I hope that you'll stick with me as we develop this thought. Avoiding Neverland this summer. I'll say it again. Avoiding Neverland this summer. Let me qualify it, Neverland to stick with the Peter Pan syndrome and the illustration that I read to you just a moment ago. Avoiding not growing spiritually this summer. Are you with me? Let's say a word of prayer and we'll begin tonight. Heavenly Father, I I pray that you'd just be with us tonight as we develop this truth out of Hebrews 5. Pray that you'd speak to us and through us, Lord. I do pray that you'd be with me uh, even towards the end as I make that application. I pray that people would be mindful of what I'm talking about tonight and the truth uh, uh, from your word tonight. I pray that it would convince somebody of something in their lives that needs to be changed just as you did with me this week. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for reading with me. And we're going to drive right into it. There's a couple of things that I want us to notice in our text. And so if you're taking notes, uh, I'm not going to give a a lengthy introduction. I've already passed the introduction. We're going to dive right into it. And so there's a few things that I want us to notice. Two things that I want us to notice in Hebrews chapter number five. Number one, I want us to write this down. Identifying spiritual immaturity. If you're taking notes, identifying spiritual immaturity. The writer of Hebrews identifies spiritual immaturity. How can we know if we are immature as Christians? What are the marks of immaturity? And so really quickly, letter A, unmotivated dullness. Unmotivated dullness. In verse number 11, he says, of whom we have many things to say in our heart, or excuse me, in our heart to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Dull. The the definition of dullness is very simply this, a lack of interest or excitement, no drive or motivation. 
And again, the writer of Hebrews is wanting to expound upon the richness of the doctrine of the great high priest. He's wanting to use Melchizedek. And all throughout the Old Testament, you'll find that I believe it's 86 times it references the Old Testament. And he's wanting to expound upon that. But he realizes, I can't even get to the rich stuff. I can't even get to the good stuff. He says it this way, many things to say that are hard to be uttered. I'd love to get to the many things to say, but you don't even have the basics down because you've grown dull of hearing. You've grown dull of hearing. Um, This is not a complicated illustration, but you have a knife or you have a sword, you have a blade. Why is something dull? Because it lacks sharpening. And you know, it's very natural once you begin to use something for it to become dull. And uh, it, it, we all understand that uh, if you, uh, those of you who have invested in expensive cutlery or something of that nature, you wanna take care of it, you wanna make sure you take time to sharpen it. Uh, and, and very simply, anything that is dull is probably because of a lack of sharpening. Jeremiah chapter six and verse number 10, to whom shall I speak and give warning and they, uh, excuse me, that they may hear, behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken, behold, Look at this, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. A lack of spiritual sharpening in the, believers, uh, in the believer will result in an unmotivated, uninterested disregard for the word of God. First mark of spiritual immaturity, unmotivated dullness. Letter B, unproductive dependency. Unproductive dependency, look at verse number 12, it says, for, uh, excuse me, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Notice that there was, a, again, sufficient time for them to grow. These were not new Christians. And their lack of faith and their lack of growth, uh, it was a result of unproductive dependency. They needed someone to teach them. And again, it says the basic principles, the first principles of God. This is Christianity 101. These are the basics. These are not the deep, rich doctrinal truths. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you're unproductive and you're dependent upon someone whom you should be filling their role in teaching others. You ought to be in the position now in your spiritual walk where you ought to be teaching others, but now you're so immature in your faith, you need someone to come along you and hold your hand and teach you the first principles of God. Second Timothy chapter two and verse number two says, and the things that thou hast heard of me, the same uh, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to sit on a pew and spoon, be spoon fed the basics of the word of God for all eternity. Is that what it says? No. Teach others also. We understand the grace commission is to win, baptize, and what? Teach. It's part of the Great Commission. Jesus and his intention for you is to grow to a point in your Christian life where you're no longer needing to be taught the basics, but you are now in the position of teaching others. So we have the first mark of spiritual immaturity, and that is unmotivated dullness. The second mark is unproductive dependency. Letter C, unheeded doctrine. Unheeded doctrine, verse number 12, again, it says, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. They desire milk rather than desiring meat. It's summertime, and and how many of you know that it was crazy hot today? How many of you wish you had a pool? I don't know, how many of you have a pool? 
Anybody have a pool? That's awesome. I'm going over to your house tomorrow. <clears throat> How many of you have ever either enrolled your children or have taken swimming lessons yourself? Okay. Uh, let me tell you how I learned to swim. Uh, we, had a, we lived in Pensacola, Florida, and uh, we were there in Pensacola, Florida, and we had a huge pool in the backyard, and I was probably about four years old, and my dad went in the back, and my sisters were swimming, and my dad picked me up, and he threw me into the deep end. And if I sank, I didn't learn how to swim. If I swam, I learned how to swim. And I don't highly recommend that because uh, I don't think that it's a good process. But nonetheless, um, the idea behind swimming lessons is that you're going to want to take someone, especially in the, in the case of a young child, you take them into the waiting area. Is that correct? You take them into the shallow end maybe even. And you begin to develop uh, uh, their skills and you let them practice their skills maybe where they can even reach down and touch the bottom and they're able to touch the bottom and there's no fear of drowning and so forth. And they start in the shallow end. But do you notice that in most pools where there's a shallow end and a deep end, there's a line that goes down the middle, that rope right there. Uh, for those of you, maybe that's a traumatic experience where you held on for dear life to that rope that was in the center. It divides the deep end from the shallow end. But the intention, uh, understand, when you're teaching someone to swim is for them to get to the position where they can transition from here and go across the rope into the deep end where they're able to hold their own. You understand? And, and when you look at it from the Christian perspective, a baby Christian, we would expect them to be over here in the shallow end, understanding the basic principles and the oracles of God, correct? The simple things like salvation and the basic things like baptism and so forth. These simple things over here, we would expect for a Christian uh, that is newly developed in their faith to remain in the shallow end, but the goal is not for them to stay here forever, right? The goal is for them to transition and to grow and to develop to where they're able to transition over into the deeper end. Are you understanding? Is that a simple analogy? But I'm afraid that when, we come, when it comes to comparing ourselves and we look at our own spiritual metric, a lot of us are far shallower than we think that we are. A lot of us are not nearly as deep as we think that we are. Man, pastor, I'd love to dive into the deep doctrinal truths. I think that I'm qualified to be able to teach a Sunday school class, and man, I really know a lot about the Bible, and they can't even make it to church on a Wednesday night. Basic oracles of God. Or, or, or maybe, oh man, I, I tell you what, I could really talk all day about this doctrine, about this doctrine, about this doctrine, but they, have, they, haven't, even, they haven't even mastered the idea of reading your Bible on a day-to-day -day basis. They're still shallow, they're not deep. Why? Unheeded doctrine. The writer of the book of Hebrews, I, I kind of sense a frustration. He's frustrated because he desires to dive deep into the teachings of Jesus, the great high priest. He wants to go in and again use those Old Testament examples of Melchizedek and all these different things. He wants to expound upon these deep doctrinal truths, but the unfortunate thing is that the majority of the people that are listening to him are still over here in the shallow end, in the kiddie pool, when they ought to be in the deep end. Why? Unheeded doctrine unmotivated dullness, unproductive dependency, unheeded doctrine, letter D. Undeveloped diet. <clears throat> Undeveloped diet, look at verse number 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Undeveloped diet. Do you have that picture ready for me? This is a picture of my son. Can you see, everybody see it? I know that it's hard to see. There we go. This is a picture of my son. This was probably when he was just a couple of months old. And we're at Carolina Smoke Barbecue. And, and, and what's in his, uh, his right hand is a rib. 
A barbecue rib, what's left of a barbecue rib, I ate the majority of it because I don't love him as much as I should, but he's got the barbecue rib and he was so excited the whole time that we were there, that was his expression. He was excited. He was a couple of months old and man, he loved me and that has been his appetite ever since. He's got a healthy appetite. He loves to eat everything that me and my wife eat. But um, when we brought him home from the hospital, that would have been a little bit more than he could handle. You can turn the lights on. That would have been a little bit more than he could handle. Um, when he came from the hospital, he wanted one thing and one thing only. Every four hours, you know what he wanted? I want milk. I want milk. And would you all say that that's pretty normal? Absolutely, it's normal. It's normal for a baby to desire milk. And as he grew, his appetite developed to where now, I mean, he just skipped over the baby food phase and went straight to wanting everything that mom and dad have, have on the table. He wants the meat, he wants the good stuff, he wants the rich, he doesn't want any of the vegetables or any of that garbage. I want meat. And it kind of makes, he, you can tell he doesn't get it from me, obviously. Man, he loves meat and he, I love that about him. Um, and, and, and again, this is right around the time of graduation. Would it be odd if my son, at 18 years of age, and I know that this is gonna be very peculiar, but would it, be, would it be odd if my son were to walk up to my wife at the age of 18 and say, mommy, I want milk? Would we think that maybe something's severely wrong with him? Would, would we think that maybe something is wrong with his development and his diet? Why is that creepy? Because someone that's 18 should have developed a diet by this time where they no longer need the milk, but now they desire the meat. Yet it is so funny how when it comes to the Christian realm, when it comes to spirituality, it's normal for a young developing Christian to be in the state where, where they're just getting the basics right and they're excited about it and we look at it and I'm not trying to belittle uh, when, when God is moving in the, in the life of a, of a new believer, but how many of you have been around a new believer where they get excited about the basics? I mean, like they come running up, a new convert comes running up and says, Pastor, uh, I can't, I, I don't know, I just read my Bible this week, I just got saved, and, and it said something about uh, not, uh, not being unequally, noked with, uh, uh, unequally yoked with non-believers and the bed is undefiled. I figured I probably shouldn't live with my girlfriend. Yes, that's a good, that's a good conclusion to reach. And you get excited about that. When, when a Christian begins to grow and you look at all these things, they're getting the basics and they're so excited, man, I probably shouldn't smoke, my body's a temple and all these things. And it's no longer cute though, whenever a developed Christian is still struggling with the basics. At that time, it becomes weird, right? Or at least it ought to. At that point, when a, when a developed Christian, or at least I shouldn't say developed, but when a Christian who has been a Christian for any duration of time is still desiring that of the milk and not the meat, they're still struggling with the basics, they're still, still struggling with the first principles of God, something is wrong with their diet. Again, the first mark of spiritual immaturity is unmotivated dullness, unproductive dependency, unheated doctrine, and then underdeveloped diet. Letter E. I like this one. Unexercised discernment. Unexercised discernment. There's a word that we need to hear a lot more of. Discernment. Look at verse number 14. It says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern what? Both good and evil. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that when you fill yourself with, I love this, when you fill yourself with the word of God and begin to exercise the principle you find therein, God will begin to build the muscle of discernment between what is good and what is evil. 
When you saturate yourself with the word of God and you begin to understand it and you study it, God's gonna give you this little word called discernment and it's a beautiful thing. A couple of years ago, it was probably about 2016, I, I, I got sick of looking at my stinking scrawny little self in the mirror and I went to Brother Chip and I was like, Brother Chip, we're gonna work out. Brother Chip, I wanna get big like you. I'm tired of you know, the 30 inch waist. I'm tired of people looking at me and thinking that uh, my wife is a cradle robber. I'm tired of looking, I wanna, <laughs> I wanna build some muscle here. And he says, I got you, bro. Here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna get a gym, gym membership to my gym. We're gonna go, we're gonna work out with one another and I'm gonna tell you what to eat and all those things. And I said, sign me up, let's do it, man. And as you can see, two years later, I've obviously stuck with it. <laughs> no, what happened really quickly, and Brother Chip makes fun of me all the time for this, is I lost motivation real fast. Uh, I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice, and I realized that I did not want a body like Brother Chip as nearly as much as I thought that I did. But uh, this is the crazy thing about anatomy, you're not gonna believe it, but when you exercise a muscle, the idea is that it gets stronger and bigger. Did that go right over some of your heads? No, that's basic anatomy 101. You understand that when you exercise a muscle, the intention is for that muscle to either get stronger and for some of us for it to get larger and to get bigger, but it's not just going to happen. I would be a fool if I thought and went to Brother Chip and said, I would like to work out, I wanna get a big body and I wanna do all those things and he tells me everything that I'm supposed to do, okay, sign me up. I disregard every instruction that he's given me but expect the same results. Why? No exercise taking place, obviously. And again, uh, we look at a baby Christian and, and they're, getting, they're getting the basics and man, we're so excited and I love it. I love it when you see them exercise their faith and they open up the word of God and they begin to develop in their word of God and you notice that they become stronger Christians and the Lord gives them this little thing called discernment where they're able to tell what is good and what is evil. But that is not the end intention for God in regards to your Christian walk. Okay, I'm gonna get a little bit deeper here. So a baby Christian, they're developing their faith and they get to the point again of those illustrations that I just gave you where the basic things that we all know that have grown up in church, those are wrong and that's right, but they don't know that. And they're getting the good and evil thing. But do you know that for the developed Christian, God desires for you to transition from discernment between what is good and evil and now being able to discern what is, here it is, what is good and what is best. Did you hear me? God desires for you to develop in your faith where you reach the point, not only where you can discern what is good and evil, that's an expected thing for a baby Christian, but he wants you to get to the position now where you can discern not only what is good and what is evil, but what is good and what is best. I mentioned it on Sunday, but the desire ought to be to find the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So that's what the writer of Hebrews has to say about identifying spiritual immaturity, unmotivated dullness, unproductive dependency, unheeded doctrine, undeveloped diet, and then unexercised discernment. Number two, we're only gonna spend just a couple of moments on this, illustrating spiritual maturity. Illustrating spiritual maturity, and the writer of Hebrews does illustrate spiritual maturity, but real quick, let's look what Paul had to say in Paul, Paul's writings in Colossians chapter one. In verse number 28, it says, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man, what's that next word? Is it up there on the screen? Say it with me, perfect. What is perfect? You mean what is without sin? No. Here's the idea, what is mature? What is developed? 
Every man perfect in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter four and verse number 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. In other words, a mature man. Unto the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, of the fullness of Christ. And then the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Look at uh, chapter number one, or excuse me, chapter number six and verse number one. He says, therefore, next word, read it with me, leaving. Let's do it again until I get 100% participation. Therefore, leaving. One more time. Therefore, leaving. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. In other words, the basics. In other words, the shallow things. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, let us go on unto, there's that word again, perfection. And again, the idea is not sinlessness. The idea is matureness. You understand? All right, I'll say it this way. He's telling the Hebrews, those who are listening, the Christian Jew, that it is now time to leave the basics of the faith and transition to the rich, doctrinal, uh, perfect things, the mature things of the faith. And I'll say it this way, it's time for them to grow up. It's time for them to grow up. It's time, time for them to expand or stretch their knowledge. In a nutshell, the writer of Hebrews is saying that they have been guilty of not prioritizing the importance of the word of God. He spends this time identifying in all those things that I just mentioned, he spends this time identifying spiritual immaturity and did you know that every single one of them has direct connection to their neglect for the word of God? Did you hear me? Every single one of them, all the marks of maturity point back to this, a disregard for God's word. Before we can continue, you've gotta leave the bottle and pick up the fork. You must stop disregarding the word of God. He's pointing that as the, and I know that there are a number of different things, there are a number of different indicators of spiritual immaturity, but really we could boil it down to just one, a disregard for what God says in his word. Would you agree with me there? So in closing, let me ask a few questions and we'll make some basic application and we'll be done. What, I've been like, what, 15 minutes? How do we grow spiritually this summer? How do we grow spiritually? How do we expand our faith? Uh, how many of you are planning a summer vacation? How many of you are going to senior camp, junior camp, any camp, soccer camp, science camp, nerd camp? How many of you have plans this summer? How many of you, uh, even though summer is supposed to be a time of rest, how many of you are gonna be busier this summer than you are in the regular year? Isn't that funny how summer works? Summer is supposed to be those three months of bliss and all of a sudden it turns into the honey-do list for you husbands. It turns into camp after camp after camp and vacation. You gotta fit that in there. And then you have to take a vacation after you take a vacation to get, you know, recover from your vacation. Summertime can become a very busy time. Let me ask you this question. What are you doing? What is on your agenda to sharpen you spiritually this summer? Did that question hit you as hard as it hit me this week? What, what... What, what, what is motivating you to improve in your faith this summer? What do you have? And I'm not talking about just ideas that you think would be nice. I'm talking about for you planners, what do you have planned? What do you have on the agenda that is going to expound your faith this summer? Or are you content with not growing one inch this summer? Because it's one or the other. 
You either have a desire to grow spiritually, the Bible says draw nigh to God and what? He will draw nigh to you. You have a desire, if you have a desire, you're gonna grow, but you know, if you disregard it, you won't grow. Just no different than if I disregard exercise, I can't be surprised when I don't grow physically. You cannot be surprised if you do not grow spiritually, if you do not intend to grow spiritually. So a very simple question, what do you have on the calendar? What do you have on the agenda to grow spiritually this summer? How do we avoid having a Neverland experience this summer? Don't turn there, but 1 Peter chapter number two and verse number two. I'm gonna draw this parallel between uh, what Peter says and then also what uh, the writer of Hebrews says and then we'll make some application, we'll be done. Here's, here's what he says. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may, what's the next word? Grow thereby. That ye may grow thereby. What did he say a spiritual indicator of spiritual immaturity was? Verse 13 of Hebrews chapter five, it says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. In other words, he's stuck. It's okay for a baby to want milk, but it's not okay for someone who's supposed to be grown to want milk. And he says that they're unuseful, unskillful in the word of righteousness. And I know that this is not transformative, this is extremely basic, and you're not gonna go home and quote me on Facebook tonight on some great quote that I said. I know that this is very simplistic, but again, the practicality might slap some of us in the face. You cannot grow spiritually this summer if you are intending to neglect your Bible. You cannot intend to grow spiritually this summer if you do not on a day-to-day basis plan on opening up the word of God and saying, Lord, whatever you say, I will do. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. So here's my challenge to you tonight and here's my application. Um, When I was doing my study this week and I was praying about uh, what the Lord would have me preach, I was also in turn praying about what I was gonna do spiritually. Uh, what am I gonna do to challenge myself? And I had all sorts of different ideas as far as uh, you know, expounding upon my faith and expounding upon my knowledge of the word of God and so forth, but here's the conclusion that I came to. I took my calendar and then I took what I felt like the Lord was wanting me to do and I made sure that what the Lord wanted me to do lined up with my calendar. I got that twisted. I was looking at my calendar and I don't, know, I, I, don't, I don't know your schedule, but I know my schedule and I'm crazy busy this summer. I got things going on every single week, every single day, all sorts of things. My wife's having a baby. I got all sorts of things that I've got to complete. And the Lord began to prick my heart about my dependence upon the word of God and my knowledge of the word of God and my devotion to reading my Bible. I mean, I read my Bible just the same as anybody else. But he said to me, I want you to expound and I want you to stretch yourself this summer. And I said to the Lord, I can't do that this summer. That doesn't work with my schedule. And he convicted me and he said, how about you use this summer as an opportunity for me to grow you? How about you use this summer as, a, as an opportunity for me to expand your faith? And so the Lord gave me this, and, and it's, again, I'm not, I'm not posing this or pushing this or driving this on anybody, but this is just how the Lord worked on my heart. I heard about a thing called a 90-day reading schedule, and it is exactly what it sounds like. It's reading the Bible in 90 days. How many days are in summer? 90 days in summer. Summer starts on June 21st. That's this next coming week, June 21st. Ends in September. September 19th is the last day of summer. And so I just saw this and I I began to look at it and I became very overwhelmed and I said, "Uh, there's no way that I could do that. There's no way that I could accomplish that because that would require me 
sacrificing. That would require me waking up earlier than I'd like to wake up or maybe uh, taking some of those things that I'd like to do and putting those aside. And the Lord convicted me. And so this summer I'm going to intend, and I'm not saying that to brag, I'm saying that to show you that in order for me to come to this conclusion that I'm gonna, exp- I'm gonna endeavor to do this, I had to realize that it's, it's more important for me to set goals spiritually and it's more important for me to expound my faith than it is to make sure that I have a free schedule. And so for those of you who'd like to do it, for those of you that like to do it with me, uh, these are available in guest services. At the close of service, you can go and pick one up. And I'm not challenging you in, th- in, 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 in that if you don't do it, you're not as good as me or anybody else that would do it. Because I understand that uh, this is a big deal. It's gonna take a lot of time and all those different things. But here's my challenge to everybody in this room. Look at your schedule, clear everything else out, and work around this one point this summer. I will read my Bible every single day. I will read my Bible every single day. Does it get more, any more practical than that? No. But I mean, if we're honest, not by a show of hands, but just answer yourself, how many of you already intended to do that? How many of you already looked at your calendar and said, I'm gonna grow spiritually this summer by doing X, Y, and Z? I didn't. So that's my challenge to you this evening. In light of, of Hebrews chapter number five, he looks at the spiritual maturity of the people that were reading and realized they were not nearly as mature as they ought to be, and here's why. They neglected the word of God. And so this summer, that's my challenge to you. We've got a long summer. There's all sorts of things going on and you're gonna be busier than, than you ever are the rest of the year. What are you doing spiritually? What goals are you setting spiritually? Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us tonight and I do pray that you'd be with the prayer time tonight. And uh, again, Lord, I know that this was very simplistic and, and it was very practical, but I think that it's something that we all struggle with. Uh, and for some of us, I'm sure that it becomes mundane. Uh, we've done the same thing for many years and read the same amount of chapters and the same books and the same uh, chapter divisions and all those different things where it just kind of just becomes routine. But your intention for us is not to treat the word, treat your word as something as mundane, but treat it like it's our lifeline because that's exactly what it is spiritually. It's our food. It's what we get our sustenance from. It is our meat. Lord, I pray that you would help us this summer as a, as a church as a whole, but individually, Lord, that we would set goals spiritually uh, to get closer to you, to expound and expand in our faith and in our knowledge of your word. I pray that you'd help every one of us, whether it's to take this challenge or if it's just to simply read a couple of verses a day. I don't know uh, what, what everybody normally does, but Lord, you know, you know and they know. I pray that you'd convict hearts tonight, Lord, and that we would, we would treat this summer like an opportunity for us to get closer to you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll